What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome to the Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 87, I think, of the podcast. And we are very happy that you have joined us today. They say we learned the most from our losses, and that is what this show aims to do. We're going to interview an elite player who has lost one or two games at a major event, and we're going to talk about that game that they lost. We're going to break down that loss. We're going to explore every nook and cranny. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? I've done it. Matt Morisali's done it. We've all done it. And you know where we're going today? We are going to Chicago. We've been to Chicago a lot because there was a Depticon last year. There was the Chicago U.S. Open. And we are going back again. It feels like it was yesterday to Adepticon 2023. We are going to interview one of our teammates, one of the Art of War boys who is playing some Eldar. And he played it into some Chaos Demons now, this is part one of the podcast, and this part will be analyzing the game, discussing common mistakes, secondaries, target priority. And part two, which is available to subscribers at the Art of War Patreon, we'll be talking about their list, how they plan to change it, how their list plays in my list, your list, every list in existence. We're going to talk about new strategies. We're going to talk about the one, the only Near and dear to my heart, the elite player mindset. My co-host today is the most positive outlook human being on the planet. He has a beautiful, beautiful Austrian accent. He's won a lot. He's on the national team for Australia. I'm, of course, talking about Mr. Matt Morisali. G'day. What's going on, Blake? I don't know what an Austrian accent sounds like, mate. It's like kind of German, right? Guten Tag. What's up? Yeah, I want you to use that the entire episode. Just give me an Austrian accent the entire time. I don't want this Australian stuff. <laughs> I'll give it to go, mates. I don't know how to do that. Like, that's, that's pretty good, Irish. actually. No, that was more Irish. Ah, uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't know anyway. I'm pretty bad about it, so we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. But I expect a couple of uh, little Easter eggs in here. Now, our guest today, one of our teammates, I am talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Matt Sherman. Sherman? Ah, Shuckman. A close Shuckman. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful because I actually missay everyone's name and I actually just missay one of my teammates' names. So, yeah, I have one job, you know, my last name is actually from Eastern Europe. <laughs> and since apparently Matt Morosali is from Austria today, yep, it's very fitting. Very fitting. He's, he's an, um, Everyone just use an Austrian accent today. We're going to really, we're going to change the entire face of Unbroken today, make it, a, make it an Austrian show. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm uh, doing I'm, really well. Oh, which Matt? Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. All, right, all at once, tell me how y'all are doing. Pretty awesome. good, man. Good. Perfect. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Now, Shuckman, you came all the way across from Virginia to come to some Adepticon action. How did you like the event overall? You've been to several Adepticons in the past. Did you think this was a pretty good one? Yeah, so I, I have been to many Adepticons. Um, the I guess the only ones I've really missed were the 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 two kind of lost years, and then uh, last year I was still just kind of 
dipping my toes back into 40k after the the end of that pandemic era. So, uh, you know, I, I had a great time. It was definitely worth going. I sort of, in the past, I've actually been more focused on the team event, usually with Andrew Gagno and a couple other guys. Um, but this year, again, we just, we didn't really feel like bringing the whole team out. So I was like, well, I guess I'll still go and play singles. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a pretty cool event. It's a little grueling with the four rounds on one day. Uh, so that's, you know, I've noticed that hits a little harder now that I'm in my thirties than it did when I was in my twenties. Dude, it crushes me. I played last year and I was like, I'm not playing next year. I, I went to a, De- I go to Adepticon. This is probably my eighth or ninth Adepticon. And, um, I went and I did nothing. I had no agenda. I showed up. I just went around. I demoed games. I painted models in a little model area. And I got addicted to Warhammer Underworlds, which is um, actually I'm, I'm soft retiring from 40K for 2023 because we're having a baby. Um, big reveal. I'm having a baby in 2023 now. Um, so um, I'm on a soft retirement. I'm going to play some Underworlds for the rest of the season, I think. I'm going to play in two team events for 40K. And then I'm just going to ride out that sweet, sweet underworld train for the rest of the year. So if you haven't played, it's a great game. Tell me a little bit about the terrain at Adepticon. It's, it's a, it's a point of contention, I think among the community. So tell me what your thoughts on. It is definitely a point of contention. I think what's really hard is the tables are not consistent. So for instance, I played on a number of tables that like my, so my round one against Drakari, which Great game, cool guy, but we basically had no terrain. We had five little buildings that all were just covered in windows. There were no event rules regarding, you know, what do you do with that? So, you know, for instance, in ITC, generally first floor windows block at the GW opens again. If there are first floor windows, they're always counted as closed, that kind of thing, especially at least on the majority of the pieces. Well, at Adepticon, you kind of get what you get and you can make an agreement with your opponent if you want on what you want to do, but Generally, it's what you have is what you have. So we had, you know, five little buildings with windows all over them. So there was nowhere to hide. And they had tiny little footprints. So you couldn't even put people in them if you wanted to just to get cover. And then, you know, two big, chunky walls that were impassable quite clearly. And then, like, two crummy little forests. And our entire game was like, he was like, well, you shoot better than me. So I guess you win because we deployed our armies. I went first. I killed half his army with tricking catapults and scatter lasers and that was that game and then you know other games the the table next to me for instance had these like big tall necron buildings where there were clearly tons of ruins and things to hide in and no windows and but again then the table like one row down just all these big completely line of sight blocking impassable walls so it, I think that's the big issue is it's just there's no consistency between the tables. And then so it, it really just ups that randomness of, OK, so I don't know what I'm going to play against, obviously, because you get a random pairing and then you get a random table, too, that depending on what mission you're playing may be better or worse. So that's that's rough. <laughs> I wonder, you know, we talked I, I was talking about I think it was uh, Nick I was talking about this with. I wonder if in the future we see Games Workshop start to support some of these bigger events. We're already kind of seeing it with um, LVO, and I think Nova last year was pretty heavily supported by Games Workshop. I wonder if we start to see them start to you know, give a little support for terrain, maps, things like that, as the U.S. Open Series becomes more and more successful. I think that'd be kind of neat. 
so I do know Games Workshop did. I don't know if they gave it to them or if they just gave them a really good deal because the Adepticon guys posted a bunch of pictures a couple weeks before Adepticon about they were doing some terrain builds because they were gifted or they obtained all of the, I think I think it was like the, the Nachmund terrain sets. So they had like tons of them. So they had all these new ruins. But what they didn't do is they didn't say, cool, we got all this influx of new terrain. Let's kind of like take pieces from every different kind of table we have and make sure that all the tables have roughly the same terrain on them. Instead, what they did was they created cool thematic tables, which would be fun maybe in a narrative event, but in a competitive environment, it gave gross advantage to very heavy shooty armies on the majority of tables. And that's that's hard. It would be really cool if GW just said, here's the map you should use, which they kind of have with their US Opens. They've said, this is what we suggest, but they gave them terrain. I just don't think the Adepticon team made a decision that was, I think, good for the competitive environment to maybe spread that terrain out amongst the tables. And I get it, you know, they painted each set to kind of like match different theming, but sometimes you have to sacrifice the pretty to maybe make it a little more fun (laughs) for everybody to play on. I think the interesting thing is what they've done is they have created this terrain rule set and they're kind of refining it over the next, over the last couple of years. So in, in an event where people are like unhappy with the terrain, whether that's a Depticon or any other large event, instead of kind of keeping their own thing, if they need guidance, I think it gives you somewhat of a guideline on what makes at least a somewhat competitive board state, which I think is kind of cool. It is. It's super cool. But now um, let's talk a little bit about your list. Why don't you run us down your Eldar list and what you brought? I love my list. I love all my lists. Um, So this is kind of a, this was meant to be an evolution for Adepticon from what I took, I think the last time I was on your show, which was a similar kind of Oathway list. So what I have here this time is I have my avatar, of course. So my avatar, Kane, that two plus four plus half damage, just Eldar monster. He's a great centerpiece. I love him to death. I could talk about him for hours, but I won't. Um, I have. I love uh, the Avatar. I agree 100 percent with that. He's so amazing, and he does the thing that Eldar don't do. He can stand on a point and not die for a turn. <laughs> so, uh, similar mindset. I have Baroth. I think you've probably had people on here talk about him to no end. Um, so, Phoenix Lord, Swooping Hawk guy. Um, I have my. Eldred Ulthran for psychic support. I have a Farseer on bike with the ghost helm of Alishazarubba, whatever. No one knows how to say that word. Um, but it's the, if he rolls a nine naturally, then you can't deny him, which is super important. It actually came in really handy in the game that I lost because it scored me a lot of points. Um, I have two ranger squads, basically for scout the enemy. Um, I added, so this list, how it differs from what I usually play, I usually have three Falcons. I dropped all of those to try to just have more stuff, um, which kind of worked out, kind of didn't. So I have three Dire Avenger squads in this list, uh, two six-mans and one five-man with the Stand Firm upgrade, so the five-man is objective secured. Uh, my two staple units, two five-man Howling Banshees with pretty much the mixture of standard upgrades. We can talk about that later. Um, a striking scorpion squad with crushing blows and biting blades. So he's got that seven attacks that if they hit, they just auto wound everything except Titanic things. So that's great for just like doing some immediate first turn, especially if you go first damage to something. Uh, two shroud runner squads, just lots of scatter lasers coming out. 
a Shining Spear squad, which is, again, one of those Falcons that I usually run became the Shining Spear squad, which is the, it's got that standard Shining Spear tech that you see a lot, where it's the Paragon Saber guy, he rerolls hits and wounds, comboed with the Heart Strike Exarch upgrade, so his fives to wound do mortals, so he's got six attacks, he can easily do, you know, two, three, four mortals, and then a whole bunch of AP minus four, one damage attack. So he can just, he, he does about the same damage, to be honest, as he would without the Paragon Saber. So if he just had like a, like a Laser Lance or a Star Lance, but it's much more consistent damage. And then I went ahead and I gave him the Relic, which is Kane's Lance, which uh, on a four plus stops Overwatch, does some mortals. So again, that same theme of the Banshees gives me lots of units that can reach out and touch you kind of like a slingshot effect of like every turn I can just throw something at you. And then uh, a wave serpent, which holds the howling banshees so they can be deployed without just getting completely destroyed by mortars. Because mortars were out in heavy attendance at Adepticon with the Imperial Guard. Oh yeah, I bet. I, I bet that was a big uh, shaping in what you did with this new list. It was. It actually, I was really sad to drop the Falcons because that whole tech of having just like vehicles dropping in, hiding behind buildings with the Avatar which I couldn't do because there was nowhere to hide at Adepticon. <laughs> so yeah. um, that, that's part of why I shifted to this, where I could have your Dire Avengers in Strategic Reserves, I could have Banshees in the Wave Serpent, Shroud Runners in cover, if they have something to stand in, kind of shrug off mortars. So there were pretty much everything that I would deploy would just kind of go, okay, well, mortars are cute, those don't matter. Um, it would have been a problem, though, on some of those boards that were just completely open, because I would just they would just see me and I would just die. <laughs> I have a million questions about the Avatar. I think we talked about him last time, but I have a lot of questions. When we talk about strategy, I definitely want to get into that because he's just such an interesting tool that you can use in so many ways. Do you just call the Avatar a tool? Tim the Tool Man Taylor? He did call him a tool. (laughs) Uh, Do you guys not think, like, do you guys not use tools as an insult? You're like, oh, that dude's a tool. The Avatar's a bit of a tool. I don't think it's very com- I don't think it's very common. It definitely is. I haven't. I don't hear it every day. You know, it's like a. It's a. It's an insult, though. It definitely exists. I, th- I think it's a little dated here. So, like, I think uh, in the in the U.S., like maybe like ten years ago, that would have been like a big insult. But I think it's just. I think uh, the newer generations just don't use it a lot. Gotcha. Maybe. Oh, see, so your your insult culture is just ahead of ours. Is it? Is that how? It yeah, works? we're we're waves ahead of you in the insult culture, man. Uh. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, I, uh, I, know. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't gotten into a fight with an Australian mate. They'll call you some things. You'll have no idea what's going on. Sometimes Matt will, uh, Matt will send me a message and literally, I don't even know what he's saying. Like, it, that's a true story. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, I'll try to coordinate something and be like, all right, blah, blah. it's just like a bunch of words. I don't know. And I'm like, are you speaking English? Cause, um, I'm about to Google translate what you said in Australian there. Let's um let's bust into the list. Who who did you lose to, other Matt? Tell us the uh t- tell us what you lost to, and I'll run through this list. Uh, so I lost to Mr. T.J. Lanigan. He was running a fully thou or fully uh Zinch Chaos Demons. Yeah, how do you how do you rate that game? Have you played against that before? I'm so I'm just about to run through this, but like, have, have you had any experience playing into? that flavor of, of demon army uh so as i as i mentioned last time i was on the show um, my amount of practice in general is very low so just between like having two kids and full-time job and stuff i just haven't had as much time for 40k in the last couple of years as i would have liked so i had precisely zero games 
into a Zinch army <laughs> in the entirety of ninth edition. And I actually don't think I played against any of them in eighth edition either. <laughs> so it's kind of a hot thing coming on the mark. Like I guess since what, like LVO ish time, it's kind of been hot, the hot demon list. Yeah. So I had one game against a Slanesh list, which I will say is nothing like a Zinch list. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people have sort of jumped on this this mono Zinch army right after you know, after the Flame and Earth. Um, not very hot over here. Everyone's playing more of the the hybrid stuff with lots of demonettes and Scarbrand because Scarbrand is an absolute chad. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I've seen a lot of the uh, a lot of the T Sun, oh, not T Suns, oh, a lot of the mono Zinch demons uh, over over in the US. But um, anyway, in TJ's Zinch Army. We've got a prince with Gaze of Fate and the, the Warp Fireblades, the upgraded demon weapon sword, uh, a Fluxmaster with plus one to wound for the Flamers and Infernal Gateway, a Lord of Change with Bolt, uh, Boon, uh, and Infernal Gateway as well with Master Mutator, um, the Impossible Robe, uh, Incorporeal Form, all of the stuff that makes that boy very, very hard to kill. Uh, two units of pink horrors, a unit of blue horrors, three exalted flamers. We've got six, six, and five flamers for a total of 17 flamers. Um, and then three squads of three screamers and a single burning chariot, which is 2K on the nose. Um, for those who don't really know what this army does, basically it has pre-nerf flamers because it uses the Zench Warp Storm of a plus one to hit universally. So the flamers can hit on twos, they can reroll ones. They are essentially, essentially pre-nerf flamers, except in Overwatch. And everything with the exception of the Burning Chariot has a three plus demon save from shooting on the, and the Blue Horrors rather. Um, and it just doesn't really care if you shoot it. Um, this army... You know, it shoots you pretty good, smites you pretty good, has a lot of durable units, plays the uh, you know, the primary game pretty well. Um, and, yeah, I can imagine this is pretty hard going uh, with Eldar when it has some good denies, when it has, you know, lots of demon saves that can't be affected by the AP on things like the, the shuriken weapons when, you know, it has fast screens as well. So I'm really keen to hear how this game sort of went down and where it went wrong, because I do think it's a pretty tough matchup on paper for, you know, for this sort of Eldar list to play into. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts, Matt? What are you thinking going into this game, playing against an army you haven't played before with a, you know, a pretty good pilot at the, uh, at the head of that army? What, what were you thinking lining up against this? Well, there were some expletives going on in my mind <laughs> around um, <laughs> the, uh Oh, <laughs> So, uh, I've played a lot of games with TJ, so I, I'm, and, you know, I try not to let the the player get into my head of, like, knowing, like, okay, well, I kind of know what the way this person might play their game, and I I had an idea of what the Zinch Army would do, because, like, I've seen, I've at least seen the Flamers before. The, I hadn't really had a whole lot of experience with horrors at all, so the just kind of like wrapping my head around like how they were going to split and how that was really going to work out for me. I think I, I actually think I respected that a little too much and I didn't go into the horrors enough, which actually ultimately is part two of what cost me the game <laughs> was that I just never killed the horrors and then they just kept holding objectives and that was kind of a problem. But uh, yeah, I think in my head, I, I thought 
the Lord of Change was actually going to be way harder to kill than it actually was, um, which we can talk about in a moment as well. So I, I think there were a lot of like, oh, well, if I'd ever once put models on a table against this army, I think I might have had a, been able to like formulate a game plan to win. Because if you look at my list, I have a lot of close combat things. And all of those Zinch models don't really, I mean, they get a six up save. I think the only guy who gets better than that is the Lord of Change and the Demon Prince who get better than a six up. So and the chariot, yeah, yeah. Like everyone else, I, I I touch them and they probably disappear. Although that was not the case with one of his units of screamers, where I had three shining spears charge three screamers, and uh, at the end of it, there were still three screamers. <laughs> so yes. goes sometimes with demons, man. What what terrain was your? You, so we talked about the kind of the variability in the terrain at Adepticon. What was the terrain like in y'all's game, and how did it affect the the way you deployed and everything? That it was not an ideal table um so the table to my recollection we had four very very large rocky wall things that were completely impassable they were like three inches wide and like eight or nine inches long so they were great for blocking line of sight which would have been awesome if i played against a shooting army but although he does have a lot of guns most of his guns are fairly short range on pretty fast moving things so you know i'm not going to hide behind a wall from a unit of flamers they're just going to move really far forward and then flame me anyway. But what those walls did really well for him was they created these sections where I just really struggled to get, you know, my banshees into him because I would have to come out of my tank, go, you know, like four inches around my, around a wall, go three inches forward, go like eight inches across a gap of space. And then I'd have to like navigate nine more inches around a wall, which that, that number adds up to a really big number, which is not something I really can make a charge with. Right. Right. Um, so it was definitely, I, I think the terrain was ultimately favorable for him. I think I could have worked around it. Again, with you know more than zero games under my belt of having played against Siench, maybe I could do it. Um, I, I would. I look forward to a rematch with TJ, although I don't think he'll play a Zinch army like that again at an event that actually has terrain that is more reliable. I know part of the reason he took that list was because he was like, well, I can't count on any terrain, so I'm going to take an army that doesn't care if it gets shot. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, great decision. Um, are did you what mission did y'all play? What secondaries did both of y'all take? Let's see. I still have this up. Um, we played Tide of Conviction. So I think that's the. I think it's six objectives. I think it's the control two, control three. So it's a little bit harder of a mission to score points on, which our primary scores reflected that. And then uh, he took Grind Them Down, Warp Ritual, and then the Demon Standard Reality Rebels. Yep. And then I took Scout the Enemy, Behind Enemy Lines, and Warp Ritual. Cool. And as far as like having played the games 2020 now, do you feel like that was a pretty good decision on your part on it? Uh, my secondaries were great. I scored a 39 on secondaries. Oh, wow. So Yo. what? What's your game plan going in, and how did you? I'm oh, sorry. I scored a 41 on secondaries. Oh, geez, you only lost four. <laughs> I only missed four secondary points. Uh, What's your game plan looking into this? How did you deploy, and kind of what was your plan going into turn one, uh, having knowing that if you go second, you know, you could probably get on you pretty good. Uh, so I'm pretty sure, and again, it, it's hard to remember because I we played four games that day, but so I I remember I had like two walls, kind of like creating spaces where I could kind of hide because I figured he was going to at least reserve one of those flamer units, which he ultimately did. I think he reserved like one flamer unit and one unit of horrors or something. And then uh, my hope was 
to go first, actually. So that way I could then have my striking scorpions, you know, nine inches off his line. Um, based on the way everybody actually shook out, I think I could have gotten a scorpion unit into one of his flamer squads. And my plan was to also projectile a banshee squad forward and then move my wave serpent up, use the wave serpent to block the overwatch on the flamers for the scorpions. And then banshees obviously ignore overwatch anyway, because just to be clear on what I was doing, the uh, wave serpent friend who obviously listening doesn't know there's a stratagem. It's one CP. You can use the serpent shield to basically make it so a unit can't overwatch you. And that would have allowed me to get rid of both of the flamer units on the table and then just kind of like aggressively be toward the middle, avatar kind of forward. Um, I would do my warp ritual obviously right there. I'd then be, I would immediately get it behind enemy lines because I'd probably get four points for it between the Banshees and the Scorpions and life would have been looking pretty good. Um, that did not happen. I went second and that ultimately worked out pretty well because then he moved forward and then my avatar walked up and killed Big Bird. So his uh, Lord of Change died immediately on turn one. But so Yo, my, my, that's, I, that's respectable, man. Yeah. That's uh that doesn't always happen. That's turn one looked really good. Um, I was hoping to go first. I went second, but turn one still looked really good. You know, by, top of two, things did not look good for the demons. And then it, it turned around for him, though. But so, yeah, that, that was the gist of the game plan was I was kind of hoping to go first. I think that would have allowed me to have a stronger position on primary, um, which anything could have been better than the uh, 16 points that I earned on primary in that game. Yeah, cool. What um I, I guess when did it turn right? Because you're saying turn one looks pretty good. Um, when did it kind of turn? When did you feel it slipping a bit from that positive sort of board state? Um, so when he went, when he won the, when he won the role, and I, oddly enough, he actually didn't want to go first. I I think him going second would have been very bad for him. But anyway, he won the role. He went first, and he. Pretty much the only thing he really did was he didn't shoot anything. He moved his screamers up to kind of harry my sides. And then he moved the Lord of Change right up to the middle, did his warp ritual, which ultimately was a bad move because then he there's a psychic power he cast to like do minus one to wound, I think is what it is. And he failed that. So then Avatar just kind of walked forward and punked him. Um, but it, that looked really bad for him but then what kind of happened was then my shining spear squad which i mentioned earlier went up to one of the sides and just completely did nothing to a screamer unit it shot it it charged it and there were still a bunch of screamers left and then the screamers smacked back and killed all the shining spears so we were both just kind of like oh well that just happened um and that kind of continued through that turn and the next turn of i just wasn't really finishing units off um I had a point where a Banshee squad hit a Flamer squad in combat and a Flamer was left alive, which then that Flamer ended up like going back to the corner and like killing a, a Ranger unit. So it was it was a bunch of little things that happened over the courses of turns, the bottom of turn one, which felt weird because, again, I killed the Lord of Change. So like our focus was like, oh, wow, Lord of Change just died. This looks great for Matt. But what he and I both kind of missed was, well, I failed to kill like anything else I tried to kill on turn one. And then the same thing happened on turn two, the same thing happened on turn three, and you can actually see it in the progression of my primary. I score four points on turn two, I score eight points on turn three, but then suddenly I take a zero on turn four, and I think I get four points on the bottom turn for turn five, which is really sad. And you see that because 
as I fail to kill these units, Eldar units are inherently very fragile, as I think everyone on here knows. So his units then immediately slap back repeatedly, finishing units off. Yeah, cool. So so what, what did he score for primary in the end? Because obviously it was a bit tough for you and you got great secondaries here. So what, what did TJ manage to score in the he, primary? He scored a he scored a forty-five, but he actually earned uh fifty-four points on primary. <laughs> Wild. So he 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 could have just taken a zero on turn five, and he was still gonna basically cap. Oh wow! What do you feel like the most critical moment of that whole game was? Then what what's the moment where if you had to go back, could you have changed one thing and probably won this game? Not one thing. <laughs> Definitely not one thing. Um, whew, that's a tough one. It's it's probably more than one thing. If I have to be honest, I, I would I wish it was only one. Um, there was on turn. I brought in all my Dire Avengers on the left side, and for some reason I decided that that chariot needed to die. And I don't really know why I was so committed to killing that chariot, because I shot all three Dire Avenger squads, both Shroud Runner squads, and I think like a Ranger squad shot at this chariot to finally finish it off with like a mortal wound from a, from a long rifle. And I look back and I go, well, you know, he only failed... You know, obviously like eight saves in there, but I could have just shot all those shots and killed a pink horror squad. <laughs> that probably yeah. would have been a lot better use of my shots. And I probably would have gotten more wounds because again, I would have been shooting at something that was less tough. And in hindsight, if I had killed, you know, 10 pink horrors, even like, and a couple blue horrors or something in that turn, that might've then allowed him to not, cause he strung out a 10 man pink horror squad to block me from scoring objectives on turn five. And if I could have scored, you know, a 12 on bottom of five, I would have had eight more points. And then we, well, we still wouldn't have tied, but I would have been a lot closer to not losing. And who knows, maybe I would have actually scored some points in turn four. Right. So it goes back to this, the reps thing, your target priority was a little bit off. And if you had played that matchup before, you would have known exactly which one you wanted to go into to benefit you the max. Yeah, I also think I did a poor job of, you know, I, so my turn, bottom of one, I threw an avatar and my my one squad of Howling Banshees has the uh, the mortal wound relic. So it does D3 plus one because they completed a charge and then they do a single mortal wound from just the Howling Banshee Exarch upgrade. So I used that Banshee squad and the avatar to kill the Lord of Change, which I think was the right commitment. But what I did poorly was I could have had the four extra Banshees instead of touching and swinging into the Lord of Change, I could have swung at the Avatar first and then swung with the Banshee Exarch. And then I could have the four extra Banshees just like kill one of those pink horror squads that was right there because I have just about enough attacks to probably kill all of them. And then there's no splitting if they're all dead. So, and it was just like, I didn't really know how pink horrors worked and I didn't take the time to ask. And then even if I didn't want to try to kill them, I could have just touched them. So then they at least wouldn't have been shooting me because if I could have trimmed off one or two of his units from shooting at my avatar, he might not have killed my avatar on his turn, or maybe he wouldn't have killed it in the shooting phase and then he would have had to charge it. And then the avatar could fight on death and maybe kill the demon prince. And if suddenly that demon prince isn't there, I mean, his demon prince did crazy work on those later turns. It kind of like shot over to the side and killed off two units and just kind of like kept me suppressed on my left flank for all of turns two and three. 
Do those pink whores kind of slap in shooting when they have that upgrade from the Zinc? Gosh, they do. <laughs> I did not expect that. I don't expect it either. The math, I'm trying to do the math in my head. It's like, the, I guess it's the volume, right? They just kind of take you out with that. Yep, that's sort of how that felt. And then, you know, that plus one to hit army wide from the warp storm and the fact that like they have like unlimited warp storm points because they they do some mechanic that like lets them keep warp storm points into the next turn um i'm not gonna pretend i know how it works i weirdly wish i did because i feel like maybe if i knew more about how it worked maybe I would have made better <laughs> it, it, decisions. It's, a, it's a psychic power it's a psychic power that oh. you get to oh, that's so strong but yeah and look I don't think pink is slap. I think anything slaps when you're shooting at toughness three bodies, to be honest. Yep. I think anything with like AP, strength four AP one is just like, it's an okay profile unless you're shooting uh, like, you know, uh, aspect warriors. And then it's a really good profile. Oh, it's, it's the perfect profile. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, oh, I wish I had more of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's like, it sounds to me like this just uh, this bizarre set of circumstances where this army is great at standing in the open um, yep. because there's not much terrain, but the shooting isn't that good, but it's really good into you. And also the defensive profiles are really good into, you know, a predominantly shooting Eldar army. If the combat doesn't connect with the right things, then, you know, the Dire Avengers are never really killing through pink horrors effectively with shooting. Uh, the Banshees will go slap them, and the Scorpions will go slap them. But the Avengers are, like, never really shooting through, you know, these 30 horrors that he has. They're um, not. Hanging out, holding objectives, right? So it's just, like, it's all kind of a little bit unfortunate. Um, do, do you think, you know, do, do you think with sort of proper terrain, it changes the matchup? More, I say proper, I'm, I'm not trying to be a, a dickhead about it, but like with like conventional terrain, uh, it changes the matchup more, or do you think it's more that you sort of need to understand what this army does better? Like, what, what do you think is sort of bigger impact here? So, if we were on a table where the majority of things are like your kind of standard bunch of big ruins, roughly near the middle, that are you know like eight, nine inches apart from each other, some, something like that, or even like player place terrain in like an ITC format where again, you have a lot of these large ruins that you can kind of like ruin hop from because I have so much ability to just completely ignore overwatch anyway, even if the building had windows, if they were just things that were breachable that I could go through, I think that would make the matchup a lot harder for the demon player. Um, he had a lot of points. I mentioned it earlier where he wasn't physically that far from me. He was only like, you know, 15 inches away, which for a Banshee squad is you're basically right next to me. Like you could like spit in my face. You're so close. <laughs> but because of the way the, the walls were, he was like 35 inches of actual movement to get to him. And that, that that's even for a Banshee, that's not possible. <laughs> so, mm. um, so yeah, better terrain, uh, better is not the right word. More reasonable terrain might have helped a lot. Um, again, I think the terrain is all something I could mitigate with just like a bunch of reps into it. Um, not not to say that I think it would suddenly become like, a, oh yeah, I just like curb stomp the demon player, but it's maybe a, I would feel like there's a real game there. Whereas in this, I was kind of like, well, I don't, I don't really see how I win because I don't know how to kill your army. And the answer was you just go punch them. I mean, honestly, I could have punched a blue horror squad with six dire Avengers and probably killed yeah. half the squad in combat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to ask that. Like, what was your your sort of fate dice priority here? Because you've got uh, a couple of ways to sort of you know get good fate dice. You've got two fast in the list. You've got you know 
a good chance of getting what you want. Were, were you prioritizing charge rolls or were you prioritizing psychic to try and get through the, the denies? Um, I was pretty much looking for charge rolls and psychic dice. Pretty much right yeah. what you said. Um, th- those were the ideal. Um, my list doesn't really make great use of hit and wound dice beyond like using them for Baroth because almost everyone else just usually has rerolls wherever they are, so I don't really need it. Or there's just not a lot of value in those. Um, obviously, the Hail of Doom lists are always like, oh, yes, hit rolls, wound rolls. These are great because they're trying to like funnel them into the Bosier, but I don't have that tech. So saves, I love those. They're great for the Avatar. They're great for Baroth. Um, but the amount of density of shots and smites that he was going to put into things, saves are kind of useless because unless I have like four of them, it's not really going to impact what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, like the mortal wound output goes down pretty quickly once the Lord of Change is out, though, right? Like the smites really aren't even a concern at that point um, because they're rolling normal normal casts. Like in, in Infernal Gateway is a you know an eight cast on the the Flux Master. And the Demon Prince doesn't have a, a smite power. Like he's just got smite. So your denies here are, are you know, equally as good as his um, his cast attempts are. And he's looking for big numbers. So like I thought the psychic isn't even that much of a threat. Obviously, you want to be able to cast warp ritual through a you know through a deny, and that's you know, it's pretty great for that. But yeah, you're spot on there, man. I, I think even like Darwin just coming in from deep strike and rolling the three up with a, a six charge dice to charge blue or pink horrors, that'll kill them. Well, that Remember, I have, just I have Ghost Walk too. So you if I have, have a charge, if I have a charge, yeah. days that that's just I make it. <laughs> like, yeah, you're in. Well, as yeah. long as you don't get denied, yeah, you're yeah. in. Um, well, so so that's actually one of the what I ultimately did, to, which I thought was going to maybe fix my game, was my striking scorpions actually came in. I think it was turn three from one of the flanks. I shot my Ghost Helm Farseer over to the side, cast Ghost Walk, rolled a nine, no deny for you. Made the striking scorpion charge. I used. I actually used the wave serpent how I wanted to. I, I blocked the Overwatch and then had the striking scorpions go kill a flamer squad. But I think that was another instance of like a flamer was <laughs> left alive somehow. And both TJ and I are sitting there scratching our heads, like, "Oh, how'd that happen?" <laughs> yeah, that, that, it just happens though, right? Like it, it's it's it this density of wounds, and they always get a save, even if it's only a six plus save. And then like the flavors just randomly smack you back pretty hard too. It's um, it, it's a whole lot of just like really difficult problems to solve for they the have, elder player in the situation. I think those flamers have an uncomfortable number of close combat attacks. <laughs> Good, really? Yeah. Yeah, they've got, like, they've got like four attacks each. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no apparent reason. Yeah, in the in the Bellacor army, Blake, they run around, they shoot things with rerolls to hit, and they charge things with rerolls to hit, and they just slap them. Oh, that's kind of crazy, actually. The, the Exalted Flamers had like a, they have like a Laz Cannon shot, does like flat three damage, I think. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you joined, uh, you joined an elite, uh, you almost joined an elite club today. Which is the three peat unbroken club? I think there's only three people in that, but you joined the two peat, so I need you to lose <laughs> with a different army at an event in the summertime, so that we can bring you on for a three peat. Well, given you know the announcement from Games Workshop at Adepticon about upcoming tenth edition, I assume I'll be playing something at least slightly different. Yeah, it'll. Cool. Here's a hint, though. It'll still probably be Eldar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're an Eldar. You're an Eldar fanatic. 
There's a lot of y'all in our Art of War chat, actually. I feel like we get a lot of a lot of um, Eldar love in there. So, but Matt, thanks for coming on, man. I've been looking forward to part two. Um, this wasn't a very Austrian episode, and I apologize to all of our Austrian listeners that we didn't give you more love in this episode. But um, I blame uh, both Matts for that. Uh, you put me on the spot, mate. Like dust is not my fault. Not your fault. Yeah, I, uh, my accents are obviously not mine either. I feel like I'd just be offensive if I attempted anything whatsoever. So uh, I'm not even gonna do it. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. But uh, Matt, thanks for coming on, man. We'll see you for part two coming up here shortly. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Everybody, make sure to check out our other podcast on the Art of War Patreon. We have the Art of War Vanilla Flavored with Nicholas, not a body. We have the Art of War Very, Very, Very Australian Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the flavor you didn't know you loved till he tried us, the Art of War Pistachio. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.